0: Don't you love a new year? I, I went three seconds without saying anything stupid. That, that was good. I, really, I, love, I love the new year. Like new possibilities, new, there's new hope, uh, there's new chances for healing, there's new, there's new chances for new adventure. There's all this new that a new year brings. There's new opportunities to do incredible things. There's also the potential for new pain. Chris said it uh, great the other day in his message. He said, listen, uh, the next year, we don't know exactly what it's going to bring, but we can guarantee there will be highs and lows. There will be hills and valleys. These are the things we know. This year we just came through. It had some ups and downs for many of us. And the year it's going to have some ups and downs. We know these things. And we know that most of us at the, at the end of this year, at the end of uh, 2020, we're going to end up somewhere. The vast majority of people in this room We'll end up somewhere thinking something, quite possibly with someone, in some sort of financial situation, having some sort of relationship with God. We will all at the end, of, we will stand on December 31st of 2020, we will be somewhere doing something with someone, with some things going on around us, right? Everyone's going to end up somewhere, but a few of you will end up somewhere on purpose. Because a few of you will decide to move into this next year with vision. You'll decide that you're going to end up somewhere for a reason. You're going to make choices today. Maybe you've already made some choices that are going to direct you for the next year. And at the end of this year, you'll be somewhere on purpose. See, most people don't have vision. Most people just meander through life. They go day to day, paycheck to paycheck, year to year. And so they get at the end of each year. And if they look back on the year, they're basically like, I don't even know what I did. Like, did I do anything that mattered? Yeah, I mean, I had, I had 27 Fortnite wins, but is that really what God created me to do? I mean, we're we're going to look back on our year and go, I mean, what was it all about? And if we're not careful, if we live a lifetime with no vision, we'll get to the very end of our life and we'll be on a deathbed one day and we'll look back over our life and say, God, did it matter? Did any of it matter? Did I make a difference? Because when you live with no vision, and no vision is normally accompanied by no discipline, when you live with no vision and no discipline, the result is loss. Where there is no vision, things perish. Write that down. I made it up just now. The result of a lack of vision is, is, is loss. The loss of relationships, the loss of connection, the loss of what you were created to do. God designed his people to live with a vision and a plan. And for too many people, they, they mistake hope with vision. They have no vision for their marriage, no vision for their health, no vision for their relationship with God, no vision for their finances, but they hope their marriage goes well. They hope they stay healthy. They hope they have money. They hope it's good with God. Hope and vision are not the same thing. Hope might get you up in the morning, but vision tells you where you're going. You have to have both. Hope is not enough. We need vision. You can't just hope something happens. You have to become intentional about making sure you end up where you're supposed to be. Vision. We must be a people with vision, man, with clear vision and with the courage to follow it. Your life gets some amazing things. You get direction. You know where you're going. When you have a vision, you know what each day's about. You get direction and you get motivation. You wake up with a reason to do different things because you have a vision. You get purpose. When your life has vision, your life has purpose because everything is moving in a direction. Vision has the power to unlock the potential in your life with it. Do almost anything without it. You just meander along and hope for the best. We must be a people of vision. That's why we're going to spend the next few weeks talking about this. And uh, it, I like this because if our lives were our own, it wouldn't matter if we had vision or not. The First Corinthians six nineteen says this: Do you not know? That your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. See, all all of our stuff, we don't have, because we belong to God, because God purchased us with a great price, we belong to Him. And so everything we do is to carry out God's vision for us. We don't have the opportunity to take our finances and and our relationships and our dreams and our education. And speaking of education... No, 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 just... Just a little master's degree, no big whoop. Uh, just want to make sure this is clear. A lot of people have thought because I have a master's degree, they should call me doctor. No, that's not true. You call me master. So, I just, I just, it won't go to my head or anything. But so, as we continue to pontificate on today's message, whatever. But really, I mean, as, as people who belong to God, our education and our resources—we don't have the choice to just go do whatever we want to with them because they don't belong to us. All we have belongs to Him. I, lo- I love the way it says this in Ephesians. I think this is so cool. In Ephesians two ten, it says, "For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do." You are a product of God. Whether you've come to realize it yet or embrace it, it doesn't really matter. You are a product of God. Therefore, you don't get to decide what you're going to do. The maker decides what you're going to do. A yo-yo doesn't get to decide it's going to be a PlayStation. The the yo-yo doesn't get to choose. You will never, ever play Fortnite on a yo-yo. Yo-yos, do they go up and they go down. That's what a yo-yo does. And it's decided that because the yo-yo maker decided that's what it was going to do. We are the pots. We don't get to tell the potter what we're going to do. God has a plan for our lives. He has a purpose. He has a vision. He has a mission. And it's beautiful because he tells us exactly what we're... It's like God says, you're going to build this house. But he gives us some freedom in how we build it. Like he says, you know, you can use this paintbrush or that paintbrush. This room can be blue. Or you can build it with hammer or power tools. Or you can build it like an Amish person. But he gives us some freedom in how we build the house. But we do not have freedom in what we exist to do. We get to choose our spouse, we our partner. We get to choose our, our, our jobs. A lot of times we get to choose a lot of things. But no matter what we choose, everything we choose must be used to carry out the mission that God gave us. He says the what. He gives us a little freedom on the how. And what are we to do? God spells this out pretty clearly. In Matthew 28:19. he says, Therefore... Go and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I will be with you always, even until the end of the age. He says, Here's what you exist to do. Here's what we exist to do. We exist to become disciples. And disciples are people who are fully and completely sold out to Christ. The rule and reign of Christ has come to be through us. He says, I want you to become disciples who obey everything I have commanded. And then through that, I want you to go and make other disciples who will obey everything I have commanded. We exist to become people who love God and obey Him to such an extent that other people come to love God and obey Him through us. We exist to fall completely in love with Him and for the world to fall completely in love with Him through us. That's why our mission at this house, our vision of this house is pretty simple. We have two statements. The first one is, everyone needs Jesus. Does anyone know what the second one is? Everyone our responsibility. Mm, that's so fun. Everyone needs Jesus, and everyone is our responsibility. We believe everyone needs Jesus. Why does everyone need Jesus? Because it is impossible to become a disciple without Jesus. You cannot become what you exist to do if you don't have Jesus. Therefore everyone needs Jesus. We have a lot of needs in the world, but our core base, most, most, most shared need is we all need Jesus Christ. And we believe everyone who needs Jesus Christ is our responsibility. We don't think it's someone else's responsibility. We think it's our responsibility. People who look like us and act like us and talk like us and walk, they're our responsibility. People who don't look like us and don't talk like us, they're our responsibility. Everyone Who needs Jesus is our responsibility because it is God's desire that everyone would come to know Him. And so that's the vision of this house. It's not just on our shirts. We want to get to a place where that is actually the heartbeat of all we do. Where we love God to a point that looks crazy to the world and we love people to a point that looks crazy to the world and we actually transform the world through the way we live. That's the vision. And we have some tools in this place. We met, I I don't know, it's four or five years ago. We met and and we said, "If, if, if that's our vision, what are the tools we need to carry it out? And so we have some tools or some values that we need to carry out the mission. And these are the four areas where I think we as individuals can all grow in 2020. Because we're going to talk about vision next week, and we're going to talk about a vision for your health and for for body, mind, and spirit, and some of these things in the week. After that, we're going to talk about a collective vision for the house. But as individuals, we must have our own individual visions. We must move in our own individual directions, because if the church has a vision that you don't share, the church doesn't have a vision. You are the church. Therefore, we must share a vision in the four areas where we can grow in 2020 or this. Humility, maturity, generosity, and community. And so it's my prayer that we all grow in a vision of maturity. Romans 12.3, this is a really, really, really good Bible verse, by the way. Romans 12.3 says this, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought but rather think of yourself with sober judgment and in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. The first sign of maturity is seeing yourself as you really are. Mature people have the ability to analyze themselves. My my brave brothers and sisters called this step four. It is called a fearless moral inventory. Raise your hand if you're not kidding. You don't have to raise your hand. Y'all know that one. A fearless moral inventory. This is what we're called to do first. We are called to take a fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Where am I? Because there's no way to get to where God is calling you to go unless you're honest about where you really are. Where are you in your relationship with God? Where are you in your finances? Where are you in your relationship with people? Where are you in your soul? Like, where are you? Because if you don't know that, then you can't get where God's calling you to go. A fearless, Moral inventory. I've shared this story with you guys. I know, but I got um, divorced—not from Christy. We're still, we're cool. But I got divorced from this other, from my first wife. I always sound so old. I got divorced about, I don't know, twelve or thirteen years ago, and uh, I blamed her completely for our divorce. Like we were married around eleven months, and then, then she left, and so I blamed her completely for our divorce for like months and months and months, and. I don't know, six, eight months, and eventually I began to do this fearless moral inventory. And what I realized was our divorce wasn't completely my ex-wife's fault. Her mom actually had something to do with it, too. She was always in the mix. So that was a good lesson. I'm kidding. That's not what I learned. What I learned was it was my fault, too. I blamed her for every single problem in our marriage, but as I stepped away from it, and God gave me the maturity to do a fearless moral inventory, I saw that some of the problems were actually my fault. It's amazing, and I know know I've shared this, but I thought I was a good husband because I didn't beat her, cheat on her, or cuss her. Come to find out, you women want a little more than that, right? (laughs) I didn't know y'all were so needy. I mean, really, I was a terrible husband looking back, but I didn't know that until God gave them the maturity to look at myself in an honest light. And through owning what was my fault, I was able to grow. See, children blame everybody else for their problems. Mature adults own what's theirs and deal with it. The truth is, guys, you can't get rid of the problem that's yours until you own it. I can't get rid of somebody else's problem, but I can get rid of my problem. Be mature enough to see yourself as you really are. What needs to change in your life? That's the first step, maturity. Second, we need a vision to grow in community. Guys, we do not have a small group process here at Grace. We have a discipleship process that involves small groups. And I think that is a big difference. Everything we do is to create disciples. Our small group process, the whole connect thing, that exists not to create friendships, although I hope you all have friends. It exists to create disciples. That's why we do what we do. Acts 2.42. By the way, this is probably my favorite book in the Bible. You should read Acts to start your year. It's awesome. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. They lived in a place, these first people, where you got your head cut off for being a disciple, yet with no lights and no incredible music and no children's programs and no social media, they created thousands of disciples by devoting themselves to becoming disciples in a world where you got killed for being a disciple. How did they do that? They created community that was geared around making disciples, not friendships. And I'm not, friendships are good. We need friends. But the primary purpose of our Connect culture here is not friendships, it's discipleship. And so I'm going to challenge those of you who are in small groups, who are in C3, C4s, to, to look at your group this year and say, are we becoming disciples or are we just becoming friends? And if you're not taking the steps to become disciples, then in your group, have the courage to begin to do what disciples do. Study scripture. Share communion together. Go serve some people together. Like, break up your burdens. Honestly begin to get open and honest about the reality of your life. I hope hope you guys have the greatest friendships the world has ever seen, but my prayer is that we're the the deepest disciples the world has ever known. That's what God wants from us. We do not have a small group culture for any other reason than so that we can become disciples through small groups. Final, next one, we need to grow, and this is the one you've all been waiting for. Oh, by the way, winning manhood. Raise your hand if you're married, men. Speaking of community. All right, great. Uh, Keep your hands up, men. All right, y'all see all the the hands that are raised. If your husband is not uh, going to winning manhood, women, I want you to take that sharp part of your elbow, and I want you to stick it in his ribs right now. Sissies. Um, we have an amazing opportunity to create community right now, right here, winning manhood. Not only that, we have small group sign-ups coming up. Guys, do these things. Talk to Chris. Talk to Katie. If you don't know Chris Katie, come talk to me. I'll introduce you. But there are ways to get connected. But gosh, you got to take the step. All right. We need a vision to grow in generosity. Acts 2.44 says, All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had a need. I, like, I, we must have a vision for generosity. And we tiptoe around this subject so much because we don't want to offend anybody. But the truth is, the things we have, a lot of them, they cost money. This building we didn't buy with seashells. This building is a tool for discipleship, not a tool to keep disciples comfortable. And there's a difference It's a tool to create more disciples, to attract people. And we paid money for this, Uh, the, the missions we do. It is great to pay to pray for homeless people. That is wonderful. I hope you do that. I hope you continue to do that. It is another thing to go into a homeless camp and to give them food and clothes. And those things cost money. The way we show the world our gratitude is by being generous with what we have. And this isn't the job of a few people. This is the job of everybody. So if you're being mature, if you're mature and you look at where you were last year in your giving, and you see you're not part of the solution, that you're not helping us build buildings and do missions, then take a step, man. Have the maturity to take a step towards becoming more generous. We have to have ways to show them. And generosity is one of the greatest things we can possibly do. And when you begin to realize that part of the vision is reaching people and resources are used to reach people, then it gives purpose to the resources you have. I'm going to challenge you as, as a family, as husband and wives, as single folks, as people who are dating, whatever to begin to have conversations about how you can grow in generosity. And there's three quick things to consider. Giving percentage-wise, like to know the percentage of your income. Most people have no idea. Not y'all, but at some other churches, most people have no idea because they give like a piano bar when they like it. They throw a dollar in the cup. Give a a percentage. The second, give a priority. Make it first. And the third, give with progressive. That means it increases over time. Uh, So I would challenge you to take a mature look at your generosity. And finally, we need a vision to grow in humility. And this is my favorite one of the day. Because these verses right here in Matthew 5, I have been reading over and over and over. Like I sat down the other day for my quiet time and I started reading these verses. And uh, this was about a month ago, I guess. And I, I'm still reading these same nine verses that I'm about to read to y'all. Apparently God doesn't think I've got it yet. Matthew 5.3 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are the humble. Like in somewhere along the line, I feel like sort of the church lost a little bit of its humility. Like, I I think in the beginning they had humility, but as the church got bigger and it got easier and easier for us to do it, I feel like the church lost a little bit of our hunger and a little bit of our humility. We begin to think we deserve these things. I deserve a good children's program. My kids deserve a good youth. I deserve a good sermon. I deserve a good music. Says who? We deserved hell, and we were given Christ. We've gotten far more than we ever deserve. It's time for the bride to be humble. And the problem is we have no role models. Politicians used to at least pretend like they were humble. Not anymore. Those days are over. That's my take. I mean, really? A professional actor, what they used to pretend to be humble. Now humble's out. You don't have to pretend to be humble to be popular anymore. You can just walk out there and be all about you. And for some reason, the church in this process lost our humility. So I'm going to challenge you. and I'm, God is challenging me to get humble, to daily remind myself that everything I have is a gift from God and it could be taken away in a second, that any good thing in my life is because of him, that the only reason I'm not just another statistic is because God poured grace out on me. Guys, I know who I am apart from him. I am broken, poor, pitiful, wretched, and blind. I know know the truth of what I will do apart from Christ, and those of you who are humble, you know the truth of what you will do humble humility causes us to seek people who don't look like us humility causes us to open our minds to hear opinions that we might not understand humility causes us to be a place that truly believes everyone needs jesus and everyone is our responsibility so get humble and so the challenge is to grow in these four areas and I would love for you to have these discussions around your kitchen table or with your small group. How can we grow in maturity, generosity, community, and humility? But then just, don't just have a vision. Have the courage to move it. Have the courage to carry it out. And this is one of the most beautiful things and, and sort of painful too, is I know that if, if, if we share this message with a thousand people, a hundred might actually do it. 100 might actually move forward in these areas. But it only took 12 to change the world. I'm pretty sure we could do a lot of damage with 100. So take a step, man. Be the one that listens. Be the one that moves. Churches are doing one of two things, and you guys have heard this. We're either growing or dying. So are you. So am I. I'm either growing or I'm dying. This will be the year I grow. Amen.